This morning's scripture reading will be read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, whom, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven, and the things in earth, and the things under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to be glory of God the Father. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, we do invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're thankful for the beautiful day that God has blessed us with, the opportunity to be together. And we trust that our worship will be profitable, it will be in spirit and in truth, and that we will enjoy this period of fellowship that we have with one another. We're going to be looking, as Isaiah read just a moment ago, at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles and look at these verses with me as we think about the mind of Christ. And I want to begin by simply asking the question, do you have the mind of Christ? In other words, do you demonstrate or exemplify in your life some of the characteristics that Jesus bore during his earthly ministry. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, the Apostle Paul isolates some traits or characteristics of Jesus Christ. And those characteristics or traits should be inherent in our lives as God's people. And so I want to call your attention, first of all, to the fact that when you begin to, to look at the life of Christ, that he was selfless. In verses 5 and 6, Paul identifies the selfless nature of Jesus Christ. And as you think about the selflessness of Christ, I would encourage you to link to that idea the fact that he was and is deity. Note, if you would, what Paul said, let this mind or have this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God or existing in the form of God. Now, by way of an investigation, if you were to analyze that word form, it simply carries with it the fact that when you when you look at the life of Christ and you begin to analyze the nature of Christ, that you come away with the idea that he was and is a divine being. And so that word form simply points to the divine nature of the Christ. Now there are a couple of things to consider along these lines. Note again, who existing or being in the form of God 
The Bible says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, or counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped. There are two things I would call your attention to. First of all, with regard to the nature of Christ, we have to see him in his pre-incarnate state. And by that, I'm simply referring to the fact that before Jesus inhabited human flesh, he existed with God the Father. He was and is an eternal being. He is the second member of the Godhead. For example, in Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6, Isaiah refers to Jesus as the everlasting Father. In Micah chapter 5, Micah foretells of the place of the birth of the Messiah. But he speaks of the Messiah in these words. He said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting, from the days of eternity. And so Jesus Christ existed in a pre-incarnate state. John identifies for us the Word, that is, the Logos. In John chapter 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, as the second member of the Godhead, was the executor, that is, He was the one who made the world, the universe. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer tells us that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Now when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him were all things created, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or principalities or powers, all things were made by him and for him. And in him all things consist. And so Jesus Christ existed, has existed throughout all of eternity. And so when we talk about the nature of Christ, the form of God, we have to understand that he existed in a pre-incarnate state. But then there is also his incarnate state. And this simply points to the fact that Jesus Christ took upon himself human flesh. That is, he tabernacled in a human body. Again, going back to John in John chapter 1. In verse 14, John said, And the Word became flesh. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 5, the Hebrew writer speaking of the Christ said, A body have you prepared for me. That body was prepared where? In the womb of Mary. And so in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew brings to the fore of the minds of his readers the words of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. He foretells of the virgin birth. 
And he said his name is Emmanuel, which being translated or interpreted is God with us. And so Jesus Christ inhabited this word, this logos, this eternal being, inhabited human flesh. Now, Paul said, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Colossians 2 at verse 9. Think about what Jesus gave up to come to earth. The Bible says, who being on an equality with God, emptied himself. In other words, he did not count it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think it was something to grasp hold of. And the idea is that Jesus laid aside the privileges of his home in heaven with his heavenly Father in order to come to planet earth for the good of mankind. In John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus in the shadow of the cross prays to God the Father. And he prays that he might have the glory that he had enjoyed with the Father throughout all of eternity, that he might once again enjoy that glory. Now when you begin to, to think about what he gave up to come to this earth, the fact that he was a selfless being, it's hard to comprehend. It's hard for me to imagine the fact that sinless deity was willing to leave, to walk away from the glories of heaven to come to this earth. We talk today about Christianity and, and the fact that Christianity is a selfless religion. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him what? Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. When you look at the word selfless, it really carries with it the idea of less of self. And it may be the case that as Christians, we have too much of self and not enough of the Savior. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then we, like Him, have to empty ourselves of whatever would stand in the way of our service to Him. Secondly, not only was Jesus selfless, but he was a servant. Now, there are a lot of things that you could say about Jesus Christ. He was a great teacher. He was a tremendous preacher. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was loving. And all of these, all of these attributes, I think, accord with who he was and who he is. But ultimately, what Jesus was in coming to this earth was a servant. Note what is said, beginning in verse 7. The Bible says, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found 
in appearance as a man, going back to his incarnate state. So when Jesus Christ came into this, into this world, when he came to tabernacle among men, what did he come as? Well, the Bible says he came as a servant. Jesus Christ was born where? Not in a palace, not in a mansion, but in a lowly stable. Jesus Christ came to what? To serve humanity. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but rather to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. What about this idea of servanthood? When we talk about Jesus as a servant, whom did he serve? First of all, he came to serve his Father. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My meat or my work is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John chapter 6, verse 38, he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my Father which is in heaven. In John 17, verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus came to serve his Father. Do you remember when Jesus was transfigured on that mountaintop and Peter, James, and John were present on that occasion? And Matthew tells us that on that great occasion, a voice rang forth from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Why was God the Father pleased with the Christ? Because Jesus came to do his will. Jesus came to serve him. And what that entailed was giving himself as a ransom for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 17, the Bible speaks of Christ being faithful in things pertaining to God. So Jesus came to serve, first of all, his Father, and then secondly, his fellow man. When Jesus came to earth, what did he do? He identified with you and me. He took upon himself, here is sinless deity, taking upon himself human flesh. One of the problems in the first century, and John addresses this, in his letters in First and Second John, one of the problems was Gnosticism. The Gnostics had the idea that sinless deity could in no way inhabit human flesh because they believed that all matter was inherently evil. And so what John does is simply drive the point home that this eternal logos, the word, became flesh. And so he could say in 1 John chapter 1, look, we have seen him. We have heard him. We have touched him. And so he goes on to say, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. So sinless deity came to do what? He came to serve us. He came to serve his fellow man. 
And so again in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible speaks of Christ being faithful in things pertaining to God that he might make propitiation for the sins of his people. And in that he himself has suffered, he is able to aid those who are suffering or who are tempted. Jesus came to serve us. I think sometimes we miss that. He came to do the will of his Father, yes. The will of his Father was what? For him to give him himself on a cross to die for our sins. And so Jesus came to serve. What about us? We talk about the fact that when we become a Christian, we are the servants of the Lord. Now there are a lot of people in the, in the church today when it comes to servanthood, they want to be served, but the idea of serving is not something that they are willing to contemplate or think about. They're willing for others to minister to them, to help them, to encourage them, to alleviate their needs, but they have failed to get involved in servanthood. When Paul speaks of the transformation that takes place in the life of a believer, in Romans chapter 6 he said, Being set free from sin, you have become the slaves, the servants of righteousness. You and I are said to be servants. We serve the Most High God. Now what's Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, have this mind in you. In other words, develop the mind of Christ. Well, in what way? Number one, you need to be selfless. Number two, you have to become a servant. Christianity and servanthood go hand in hand. If you're not serving the Lord, then something's wrong. How do you serve the Lord? Well, Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 25. You serve the Lord by ministering to others. In what way? By teaching them the gospel of Christ. By sitting down and talking to somebody about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You serve others by ministering to their needs when they're hungry and thirsty, when they're destitute. We serve others by visiting them, encouraging them, bearing one another's burdens, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2. He said, when you bear one another's burdens, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. We're under his law. Jesus came to what? To serve. What is it he wants of us? He wants us to be a servant. He wants us to serve in the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, in Philippians chapter 2, not only was he selfless, not only was he a servant, but he was sacrificial. Now we're talking about his death. Read again with me what Paul says, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, or who existing in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
First of all, Paul reminds us of the cross of Christ. You know, I think that there, there are some misconceptions among many people in and out of the church today with regard to the cross of Christ. And I think the misconception lies in the fact that when we talk about the cross of Christ, we're talking about something that came at a very high price. And what a lot of people are looking for in quote-unquote Christianity today is a cheap cross. Let me tell you, there is nothing about the cross of Christ that is cheap. Not one thing. The Bible says that Jesus emptied himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now we talked about Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. And John tells us that by him all things were made. In John chapter 1 verse 3. Jesus was the creator. God was the architect. Christ was the executor. In other words, he's the one that made the world, made the universe, made us. Now you just stop and think. Here was the creator. Suffering and dying at the hands of his own creation. And you mean to tell me that there are people today that look upon the cross lightly? We're looking for cheap Christianity, a cheap cross to bear? You're not going to read about a cheap cross in the Bible. Think for a moment about what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. He said, I bear in my body the marks of of the Lord Jesus. Here was Paul, who at one time was a zealous Jew, persecuting the church, doing everything within his power to destroy those who were followers of the way. He became converted, or rather he was converted, became a New Testament Christian, became a great gospel preacher. And Paul is writing to the saints in Galatia and he's saying, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you see a man who literally laid his life on the line for the cause of Christ. As a matter of fact, he ultimately became a martyr for Christ. When he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he enumerates all of these trials and tribulations that he experienced as a New Testament Christian. The cross of Christ was not cheap in the eyes of Paul. Paul is saying, he was saying, look, when you look at my life, when you look at my body, you see somebody who has been spent for the cause of Christ. Now let me just ask this question. What about you? When people look at you, do they see someone who is bearing the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you've been living as a Christian and you have been totally unscathed by the world, something's wrong. 
I mean, if you have not, if you have not been at the other end of some unkind words, if you've not been at the other end of some verbal abuse, something's wrong. In other words, if when people look at your life, if they do not see Christ living in you, you have to wonder, are they seeing somebody who is demonstrating a cheap cross? Let me take it one step further. Let's just suppose that the Lord Jesus were on earth today. If Jesus Christ were on earth today, and if he were to analyze your life like he did the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, would he look at, at the way you live, the way you interact on the job, at school, in the community, in your neighborhood, in the home, would he look at your life and say, you know what, I'm getting ready to start a church. And I'm going to build, I'm going to build this, this congregation around you. Would Jesus say that about you? Think for a moment about out in, in the, the corporate world. When, when individuals sit down and decide that they're going to start a business or a corporation, sometimes they'll look for the best and the brightest minds and they'll say, you know what, I want him or I want her to be a part of my corporation because they're sharp people. I remember when I was growing up, we would sometimes play, we'd, we'd play ball. And I, I guess many of you, like me, when you, along with a group of your friends, would decide to play ball, you would choose up teams. Well, it was always somewhat of, you know, a compliment if they chose you first or near the top of the ladder. Well, what about if the Lord were, what if, what if he were starting a congregation? Would he want to build on you, on your life? There's some of you that are probably, maybe you've built a house. In the building process, what kind of material did you use? If you were going to build a house, if you were going to build a house today, Somebody called you on the telephone and, and they told you, look, I've got some lumber. Now, the, I, I've had some problems with termites and the termites have, have, have chipped away at this lumber, but I can sell it to you for a good price. Would you want it? No. Well, what if they told you, I've, I've got some windows. Now, the windows are defective. There's some problems with them. I can give them to you for a good price. Would you want them? The answer would be no. Well, what about, what about a roof? I, I've got some 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 tile that we can put on your roof. Now, there are some holes in some of the, uh, of the tiles, but I'm going to give it to you at a good price. Would you want it? The answer would be no. Why? Because you can't build with faulty material. And the idea is that if we're going to be the church of our Lord, if we're going to bear the cross of Christ, we're going to have to be the right kind of material. The Lord has to have something to work with. He's got to have the right kind of material. And the only way he can do that is if we have the mind of Christ. There are a lot of congregations today that are comprised of a lot of people, but guess what? The problem is in the material. 
It's hard to build a congregation of God's people when God's people are not out teaching others the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's hard to build a congregation of people when God's people are not out visiting the sick, encouraging those who are weak in the faith. It's hard to build a congregation of God's people when God's people are not trying to alleviate the suffering of those who are poor and needy. It's hard to build a congregation of God's people when God's people won't even show up for Bible study or worship on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Let me tell you, you can't build a congregation when the material is not what it needs to be. Let me tell you, the problem in the church today, too many people are looking for cheap crosses. Could you echo with Paul, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been laying it on the line for the cause of Christ? You see, we talk about the cross of Christ, but then finally the crown of Christ. Note what is said. In light of everything that Jesus has done, verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and give him, given him a name which is above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. When heaven looks upon the work of Jesus Christ, there's praise. Because Jesus executed the will of the Father. What about you? Are you living to bring honor and glory to God the Father? I want to challenge you today. I want, I want to challenge you to develop the mind of Christ. To become selfless. To become a servant to be sacrificial, to lay it all on the line. Let me just be very honest with you. If the church here grows, it will grow because God gives the increase. But God is not going to give the increase if you and I are not planting and watering. We have to do our part. I'm convinced if we do our part, God will do his part. But we have to do what God expects of us. And the only way I know to do that is to begin developing the mind of Christ, to become like him. It's not always easy, but that's a challenge. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then we encourage you to come to Christ, to put your faith and trust in him, to believe that he is the Son of God that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead on the third day. The Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. If you're here today, you haven't done that, why not do it now? It may be that you're a Christian. Maybe you've not been living faithfully. Maybe you have not been what you need to be. Could we pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.